Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. We are a Southern Baptist church dedicated to seeking the glory of God by proclaiming the gospel in all that we do. If you would like more information, please visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org. Romans chapter 12, we're going to read verses 1 through 2 again. I was uh, thankful for Isaac uh, preaching uh, last weekend for us. Isaac brought a a gentle word of comfort, and there is a time and place for that. I I really do believe it was the Lord's providence to provide for the church. Um, If ever there was a a time for a gentle word of comfort, last week was one of those weeks as we had several families uh, in the church in need, and that's not what I was going to preach. Um, And so I'm thankful that uh, the Lord provided. I think it was another one of those opportunities of Jesus caring for his church. Romans chapter 12, we're going to read uh, the first two verses again. The the part that we are uh, now ready to study is this first part of verse 2. And uh, so pay particular attention to it. So let's read these two verses and then pray for God's help. Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's ask for God's help. Our Father in heaven, we we come and we bow ourselves before you and ask that you will show us yourself, that you will show us your truths, that you will bless us. Father, it is our desire that you will glorify your name, but, but what we pray, oh God, We want you to be worshiped like you should be worshiped. We want want every soul to bow to you. We're longing for the day that that'll happen and we want our lives to please you. And God, because we love you, because we fear you, because we are thankful, we want to please you. This is the, the, the aching desire of our hearts, oh God, that we would please you, that you'd look on us and smile, that that, that our conduct, our behavior, the the, the sanctification that takes place would would, would honor you. This is what we desire. And so God, because of that, we want to know your truth. We want to know what you want. We want to know your will. We want to know your word. We want to know how it is you want us to please you. We want a lot of that to happen right now for us to be transformed. So God, we pray that you will do this. Father, show us your truth, and I pray set our hearts on fire in such a way that we will go home and die to sin and live in obedience and be changed. So God, we pray, have mercy on us and bring this about. Send your spirit. Help me in the work of preaching. I I need lots and lots of grace for my mind to think, my mouth to speak. Please help me in the task of communicating. Bless all of us as we worship in receiving your words. So please Bless this, O God, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. C.S. Lewis wrote uh, a little book called The Great Divorce. And uh, if it sounds familiar to you, I've used it as an illustration before, but it's been several years back. But 
One of the things that Lewis uh, is illustrating in that book is that you and I as humans are now and eternally becoming something. You and I are not fixed. We're not finished. We are creatures who are ever changing. And, and to show this, he uses a number of vivid illustrations. Um, one of them that has stuck in my mind is you meet a man who is, who is there and the man struggles with the sin of uh, self-pity, uh, victimhood. He's always feeling sorry for himself. And the man has this, this little puppet man, kind of like a little dramatic stage actor on his shoulder. And every time that the man says one of these uh, self-pitying statements, because you know how that goes, it's kind of dramatic. You don't really love me. You're always taking me for granted. It's kind of dramatic. It's the little puppet man on his shoulder who speaks. But every time this happens, every time that the little puppet man speaks, he gets a little bigger and the man becomes a little smaller. This continues on. He continues to talk. And Lewis describes how eventually what it is, is it's the little dramatic stage actor that eventually becomes the, the main figure there. And it's the little man who with the, has a little voice and he can barely be heard. And what Lewis is illustrating by that reality is that we are changed by what we give into. Everything we think, everything we do, everything we say, how we respond to circumstances, it's all formative, okay? And so by formative, what we mean is it is forming us into something. It is shaping us. Well, this is one of the Holy Spirit's um, principal truths here in this passage that is describing the life of the believer and the growth of sanctification. We have two different kinds of directions that are described here in verse two. Being conformed to the world or being transformed, okay, into the image of Christ by the renewing of our minds. What, what I wanna do in this message is just meditate on that basic principle. Okay, so, you know, there's sometimes we come here, we study and we uh, we study a lot of truths and get a big overview. There are other times we take one truth and we just think long and hard about that one truth to try to come to the depths of it. That's what I want to do in this message. And, and, and there's a particular reason why I'm, I'm like bursting at the seams to preach this sermon. And it's, it's, it's not that it is some of the most joyous places of the gospel, but it is because this is a truth that is every single day applicational. If this truth will become clear in our minds and light bulbs will come on, this will affect you moment by moment. This is day after day, hour by hour ways that the word of God will transform us. I've seen it in my own life, uh, just amazing ways that this applies. And so what I'm, what I'm wanting to do is just meditate on the basic truth here. It's a simple truth but it's profound. It's profound. We are heading a direction. We are being shaped. And every second, every second of your life is involved in this formative process of pressing us into some kind of mold. There's a, there's a seriousness about every moment 
of life and how it counts for eternity. So in, in our outline of, of Romans 12, uh, we're still in point number one, which is in verses one through two, how we are to relate to God. This is a uh, uh, subpoint letter D, which is die to the world. Uh, and I'm taking that from the, the language of do not be conformed to the world, but we are specifically meditating on this principle that there is a, a direction that we are moving. Do not die to the world, excuse me, uh, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. So uh, here we go. Well, you're told not to be conformed to the world. This word conformed is only used uh, two times in the Bible. And it's both used in exactly the same kind of context. So it's here and then also in 1 Peter. If you'll flip over there with me, I just want to show it to you real quick. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 and, and one of the simple points I'm going to make is, uh, as you hear how the Holy Spirit speaks through Peter to address the message of the Christian life and sanctification, um, shocker, there's consistency, okay? Paul and Peter both preach the same thing, the same message. They're just using some different language there, but it's the same truth. So look at verses 13, 14. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. So you, you hear the similarity there. Okay. Paul tells us to um, remember the mercies of God. Peter preaches, fix your hope on the grace of God. Okay. Paul preaches this message of uh, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Peter preaches, get your minds ready for action. Paul preaches, do not be conformed to the world. Peter preaches, do not be conformed to your former lust. But I want you to think about the word conform there. <laughs> the idea of conforming is to adopt the image of someone, something else. It is to become like someone or something else. You may remember if this were a temptation for you as a teenager, trying to figure out your identity. It may have been that you conformed some of the ways that you would dress or maybe how you would talk or maybe even how you would think, how you would act, how you would respond, attitudes even to try to match like people you wanted to be like. And there are ways that sometimes this would happen intentionally. But here's kind of another big point as well. There are a lot of ways this happens unintentionally and we don't recognize that it is happening. Conforming is matching an influence. It's matching an image that influences you. Well, God tells us not to be conformed to the world, not to be like the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. But one of the things that I am pulling out and really trying to uh, uh, highlight is, what this means though, is that we are changeable creatures. You are a malleable creature. God is immutable, meaning he does not change. God is not growing. God is not learning. God is not getting better. He's all knowing. He can't learn anything. He's infinitely holy. He can't become more holy. All glorious is he cannot become more glorious. He is his divine name is I am that I am. God is the rock of ages. Okay. We are 
clay. This is, a, this is a metaphor that is brought up numerous times in scripture. We are clay. I believe that even into eternity, we will continue to grow and learn, okay? And, but what scripture also shows is that for you and I right now, as sinners living in a fallen world, the natural direction that we will move in change is towards fleshliness. Okay, remember uh, Pastor Ben preaching in Ephesians, make the most of your time because the days are evil. What does that mean? Pastor Ben brought out that the, uh, the, the current of the river that we are in is naturally flowing the direction towards fleshliness, sinfulness, worldliness. If we are going to resist that, it takes effort to swim against the current. And what it means is, is that when we're just hanging out, okay, uh, negligent, drifting, coasting, we are naturally moving towards worldliness, being conformed to this. Paul actually talked about in 1 Corinthians 9, needing to exert exhausting amounts of effort in order to discipline his body, his mind, his life, because without concerted effort, just kind of the, the, the natural pull of gravity will continue to press us into the mold of the image of the world. Think of a, a child playing with Play-Doh. And uh, they have these molds that you can buy. And what the child will do is they'll take the Play-Doh and, and push it into the mold and then peel it back out. And it has adopted the image of the mold that it's been pressed into. Well, that's kind of the idea of what's being talked about here, that the, the world has a mold. It has something that it, it looks like, its behavior, its conduct. And what God is telling us is that we are not to be pressed into that image, but there's, there's something else that is to be uh, happening. In contrast, we are to be transformed. But it means that we have to exert intentional effort, not to just keep being pressed into the image of this, but to do something something else. Now, by the way, notice the language here in Romans 12, that the language does not read, do not be conformed to the world, but be conformed to Christ. Now, there are some other places that the language of be conformed to Christ is used, like in Philippians 3.10 and Romans 8.29, which we're going to go there in a little bit. So it's not like that imagery is bad. It's not like that language is bad, but there's a particular point that Paul is making here. The particular point that Paul is making here, it's with the word transformed. He's bringing a particular aspect of salvation out here and of the, the nature of what this change is like. The Greek word here for transformation, okay, you've probably heard it before, is metamorphumai. Okay, you hear in that our English word metamorphosis. Now, we do always got to be careful just because we draw an English word from a Greek word doesn't mean they have the exact same definition. Okay, we gotta be careful there. There's a link, but it doesn't mean it's exact. In this case, it is a very similar definition. Okay, transformation metamorphosis is not to be tweaked. It is to be changed into a different kind of form. Okay, when a, when a caterpillar, caterpillar uh, undergoes metamorphosis, it doesn't become a different kind of worm. 
okay? It becomes a different form of a creature, okay? Tadpole to a frog. The tadpole just doesn't become just a little bigger squiggly thing in the water, okay? It grows legs, okay? There's things that happen in the transformation that is there. This is some of the intentional point that is here. Like scripture is always preaching. 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, all things have become new. Now, let, let me apply this um, to, to a couple different groups here. First, something that you just must know about what God says your greatest need is, is that you cannot improve your situation in such a way that you will make yourself worthy of God and make yourself fit for heaven. You and I as sinners, fallen lawbreakers, need more than self-improvement. Self-improvement will not, not enable you to escape hell and enter eternal life. The consistent message of the Bible is that apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins dead in our sins and need to be made alive. You must be born again. We were once in the kingdom of darkness. Christ transfers us to the kingdom of light. So you must be saved, and I need you to hear this, not improved. Not improved, you must be saved. Saved from hell and made a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. This happens by trusting in Christ, turning to Christ and trusting him uh, like you trust a parachute, okay? It's not just believing the parachute exists, okay? Trusting a parachute is something different. Trusting in Christ and you will be saved. But for you who are in Christ, you have believed on the Lord Jesus, you have trusted in him for salvation, there is also something here as well. The message is that we need to be continuing change as this new creation. Put off the old, put on the new. We were once being pressed into the image of the world. Okay, the need is not merely to tweak life. It's not just self-improvement like you can get out of a self-help book. Sanctification is an entirely different mold. It is to be pressed into the image of Christ. And let me show you that. Um, Romans 8, I told you we'd go there. Romans 8, 29. Romans 8, 29. The, you may remember this. This is the golden chain of salvation. We, we talked about there. There's some mention of predestination and such there. But I want you to catch this phrase in the middle of why God predestined us. What's he bringing us to? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. There is a mold that God now wants to press us into. There is something he wants us to look like. But the look like, you know, it's not just physical looks, okay? If this is behavior, conduct, thinking, attitude, words. What does God want us to look like? He wants us to look like Christ. That is the mold that sanctification is then working to press us into. That more and more we look like Christ. We were made in the image of God at the beginning. The fall marred the image of God in us. 
We still have the image of God in ways that make us higher than the animals. But when it comes to character, there are ways that we are no longer as much like God as we were supposed to be. What God is doing in Christ is first he saves us from our sins by saving us from hell by grace and then begins to take us and push us into a mold where more and more we will look like Christ. And there are places in scripture that we see that the emphasis is on God's work in this. God says, I am sanctifying you. But then there are other places that emphasize our effort and our participation in the process. That's what Romans 12 is. Romans 12 is emphasizing here this effort that we play in this process of being transformed. But what it, what it means is we are to be continually more and more looking like Christ. The world should be able to look at Christians and it's a dim reflection, but should be able to look at Christians and understand Jesus and what he is like more should be able to look at our behavior, our service, our humility, our words, our conduct, the way we care for the hurting, the way we show grace to others, the way that we speak truth, the way that, the way that we uh, seek to uh, serve one another and understand what Christ is like. Be transformed. But now here, here's, the, here's the next thought. Here's one of the big takeaways so far. What I'm trying to emphasize is though, Christian, is that you are becoming something. You are becoming something. You are being shaped. You're not done. You're not fixed. No matter any direction, staying still is impossible. You are in formation. There are decisions that we make a hundred times a day. There are thoughts that we think, circumstances that come into us from the outside. There are ways we must respond to those circumstances. There are influences that we voluntarily take in. There are influences that come. We don't want them to be there, but we have to respond to them. And all of these things, all of it is affecting us. We're being shaped and here's one of the big reasons I think we need to think this through. All of these and how we respond, how we think, what we do, it is all a part of this shaping. You are becoming something and every moment of your life matters. There is a sense of seriousness with every second of your life because in eternity, what you do now counts. It's doing something even the moments that we think are trivial. There's no such thing as a trivial moment. Now counts for eternity. Because everything we do now, not only will be brought up at the judgment, but everything we do now, what we're talking about here, is it's involved in the process of what we are becoming. Everything we do is impacting us, like the man in our opening illustration. Every time he gave into, every time he indulged his flesh, he became more like the dramatic stage actor. Christian, every moment is shaping us. Now, some of these factors and influences are more powerful than others, okay? But there's no such thing as one that doesn't impact us at all. Remember scripture tells us, Bad company corrupts good morals. Why? Because of the shaping power of influence. Proverbs tells us, walk with the wise and you will be wise. Walk with the fool and you will be a fool. 
Psalm 115 says, those who worship idols become like them. The prophets tell us those who worship God become more like him. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit down to the joints and marrow, exposing the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We read it and it reads us. It exposes us. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, we, uh, the, the word of God is accomplishing its work inside of us. What are we seeing? All of these factors. It's all has a, an influential shaping effect on us. We are being pressed into some mold. It is either through negligence, the, the weight of gravity further pushing us to the image of the world, or it is the work, the sweat, the effort of being transformed into the image of Christ by the renewing of our minds. Now here's what I wanna do now. I'm, I'm gonna spend a little bit more time in application than I normally do because I'm trying to emphasize this point here. I wanna work through a brief list of some of the factors that shape us. And I wanna talk a little bit about each one of them. I'm gonna list off five. And this week I'm, I'm focusing on the negative primarily, okay? So I'm focusing this week on do not be conformed to the world. We're gonna come back next week and the plan is to talk more about transformed by the renewing of our minds and those positive kinds of influences. We'll dabble in a little bit of both, but I'm primarily today is the negative of the do not do this part. So here, here are five uh, influences and by the way, you know, something like this, it's, it's not like this part is in the, this list is in the text. So it's not like the text says, here are five things that influence us. This is the work of application and trying to help us think through life. So here's the first one. First, consider that the Bible says that spirits are regularly working to influence you. And we need to know that. Spirits are at work. I know to modern man that seems crazy, but we believe the Bible here, okay? I also think if you sit down for five minutes and clearly think it through, you will come to no other conclusion. Ephesians 6 tells us that principalities are at work in this world to affect how people think. And I know I've said it numerous times, but I'll keep bringing it up. The book of Acts shows us that Satan has the power to suggest thoughts to the heart. This is an incredible power. He has the ability um, not to come in and make you think something, but to whisper ideas thoughts, temptations. You know, this, this is why the New Testament says, test the spirits. Don't just believe every thought that rolls through your mind, okay? Not every thought that rolls through your mind is from God. There's the flesh and there are demonic spirits as well. Similarly, the book of Hebrews tells us that angels are ministering spirits who have been sent out and they serve uh, the saints, the people of God. How all they do that, some of it is a mystery, but chiefly, as we talked about back in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit indwells the people of God and he is influencing us. We got to remember though, okay, he's not just doing all the heavy lifting while you and I sit and relax. He is influencing and God has designed it that we participate and put forth effort and work in all of this. It is a mystery, but the way God designed this is we participate. The Holy Spirit influences our hearts, our thinking, even desires, but there is effort that we must put into this. But the point here 
the spirits are at work to influence us and we need to know that. We need to be aware of it. One way or the other, we are being shaped. We're told to resist the flesh and yield to the spirit. And by the way, this change, this conforming or transforming, it's not all or nothing. We are complex and oftentimes contradictory creatures. It is possible for a lot of things in life to be going well, to be uh, moving forward in obedience in one thing, but then have some areas that we're neglecting and those are being conformed to the world. It's complex, but it's happening. But you and I are always in a state of flux. You're never fixed. You're never finished while you're here. Second, consider the fact that every decision you make and every action that you take, I'll put those together, is also formative, forming you. It's making you into something. There is no such thing as an inconsequential action. There is nothing that we do that doesn't last in some way. What we do now counts for eternity. The decisions that we are making now, they are affecting who we will be 10 and 20 and 30 years from now. I don't know about you, but I find that terrifying, okay, in one sense, but also incredibly encouraging in some others when we're going to get to ways to make progress. But think it through. When you encounter somebody who is... You know, excessively negative, um, bad attitude, sour disposition, angry disposition. Y you need to realize what has happened in this person's life. They weren't always that extreme. It was a process. There was some progression that happened there. They've been practicing for years. Uh, you, you might think of it like, um, you know, uh, the guy that's been working on this for 30 years. He's a professional now. He spent a lot of years in training to get that grumpy, to get that angry. The, 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 there's, there's a process that's there. And see, that's the way that lust works. The way that lust works is feed lust and it grows stronger. Okay, and, and then we have to know that one of the tactics to fighting lust, this isn't the only tactic, okay? But one of the tactics to fighting lust is you starve it. You starve the lust to make it weaker, weaker, okay? But whatever of the flesh you feed, it becomes stronger. The fire burns hotter. They may start off as little bitty, even cute looking little creatures. They will become monsters, okay? This is why Romans 13 tells us uh, to make no provision for the flesh and its lust. And we're told, do not give the devil a foothold. The reason why, the reason why you don't give the devil a foothold is because once he has a foothold, he increases his platform. Likewise, the fruit of the spirit. One of the ways that the fruit of the spirit grows, not the only, but one of the ways the fruit of the spirit grows is by practicing it. Practice the virtue and the virtue grows stronger. What we do today is affecting who we are becoming. So um, let's say there's a husband. Say so there's a husband in conversation with his wife and he gets a little frustrated and he snips at her. You know, they're talking and he goes something like, just a minute. Pause. In that moment, he, he has sinned. 
But is that sin going to, you know, destroy their marriage? Okay, well, no. But if the man does not acknowledge that what he has done is sinful, if he justifies it in his mind, he's going to do it again. And if he does it again, then the lust in the flesh, it's going to grow even stronger. And he will do it again. And it will keep happening and it will pick up in regularity. Feed the flesh and the flesh gets stronger. Acts become habits. Habits become character. Character is who you are. What will happen is that the man will become like the comment that he made. Practice something for 100 days in a row and it starts to become a part of who you are. A snippy comment, a hateful, snide kind of remark made day after day after day, do it every day for a year. It's no longer just a bad day. It's no longer just a moment that I fell. It becomes who you are. You begin to adopt the image of the flesh, of the lust that is being indulged. The parent who uh, barks at their child impatiently, if that is repeated 100 days in a row, it's no longer just a, a momentary sin. It's no longer just I had a bad afternoon. It is becoming irritable. It is becoming impatient. It is adopting the identity of this. You are being shaped by what we give into. If you let yourself have a grumpy attitude, by the way, grumpiness is uh, refusing to rejoice in hope. <laughs> grumpiness is selfishness uh, and, and refusing to be considerate of others. Okay. If you indulge a grumpy attitude and practice it 300 days in a row, it's no longer just a grumpy day. It's no longer just a bad day. You are becoming a grumpy man, a grumpy woman. You adopt the image of what you are indulging. One of the things that is so dangerous in this as well, uh, can you not see it in your own life? I know I see it in mine, is that there are times where this happens and it is in such small increments, a 64th of an inch at a time, that I don't notice it happening in my life. That it will begin to progress. I'm giving into this and it's not until years down the road that we look back. But some of these things, if we could see the end of where it would bring me in 20 years, if I could see that from the beginning, I would weep and be horrified. But the way that Satan seduces us is the little bits at a time. Consider another one and I think that it's one that's often missed and I think it's a big deal to talk about. Cowardice. Cowardice. Think of small, little cowardly decisions made repeatedly. What happens over the course of time? It feeds the flesh. If a man persistently makes cowardly decisions day after day, you know, and I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not talking about some of those life and death situations. I'm talking about things like... He doesn't address disrespect in his teenager because he's a little intimidated about the idea of an argument. He doesn't speak up in the lunchroom because he's afraid of the people and what they would say. He lets his wife walk on him and control him and he doesn't address it. Little decisions day by day, 
cowardly decisions, what begins to happen, it's not just a moment, it begins to become his character. The, the man will become a coward. Now, we, we joke here from time to time, you know, every man watches Rambo and says, that's me, okay? So he may imagine that he's still Rambo, okay? Like, he, he may imagine that if he were in the room uh, that Richard Wormbrand was in, remember when we've talked about this, when the church has elected Stalin to be the head of the church and Richard Wormbrand spoke up in an intimidating situation, the man might imagine, well, if I were there, I would speak up, but that's not how it works. You can't practice regular cowardice and be courageous. That's not how the body and the mind and the heart works. We become like what we do. To give in to cowardice in a regular kind of way will make us into a coward. Now, when we come back to the positive side, we're gonna talk about practice courage, you become courageous and all these other things. But right now we're warning against the, the negative. Every lust, when it is fed, it grows. Listen, this goes for laziness. We, we could have, I could talk 10 minutes about just that one. This goes for bitterness. This goes for pride. 20 years of indulging pride. What does it do? It builds, it grows. Two weeks ago, uh, when I preached on biblical sexuality, I brought this up when it comes to marriage and resentment. Okay, if we allow resentful words to stay, resentment to remain in our heart and such without forgiving and purging that out before we go to bed, what happens? The resentment grows a 64th of an inch at a time, but it keeps going and going. Feed the monster and the monster grows larger. It will eventually turn into something really ugly. Consider this as well when it comes to sexual lust and indulging the eyes, indulging, especially with things like pornography. Feed the lust and the lust grows stronger. And part of what I'm trying to emphasize though is, look at how it changes you. See, sometimes when we talk with men about the danger of por dangers of pornography, we kind of we hear this back. It's a pretty regular kind of thing of like, yeah, 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 I know, I know. I know. And what they mean is, you can tell by the way they responded. Yeah, yeah, I know. What they mean is, I know it's technically wrong, but really in their heart, they're thinking, but come on, nobody's being hurt. It's not that big of a deal. And there are a few, there are a few ways to respond to that. One of them is, where did you get the idea that even if you were right, that nobody was being hurt, that that makes it okay? You have been made to live unto God. But the second one is, you are dead wrong in that nobody's being hurt. Because one is the, these women that you are watching on screen, they are being severely hurt. Your wife is being harmed because you are destroying your marriage because you no longer look at her like she is a treasure and she was made to flourish in an environment where she was beheld as beautiful. You are destroying your intimacy. But it's also the reality where I just want to grab the guy and shake him and go, you don't see that you are being harmed? It's so dangerous that you don't see that you are being turned into something and you can't see it. It is hurting you. Whatever you do, it is changing you. Whatever lust we give into, we are becoming like it. Here's the third category of influence. Circumstances which are out of our control. 
Circumstances that we did not ask for, but which come down the pipe in God's ordained purpose. It's important that we see that how we respond to these circumstances is formative. Two people can go through the exact same trial. One will come to despair, anxiety, and depression. And another will come to deep, rich hope and a a sweet satisfaction in Christ. So why did the same trial produce two different things? Modern psychology would answer anything other than personal responsibility. But the reality is, it is how we respond to those things. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we talk about that part next week, one of the, one of the points that we're going to bring out that you probably already know is coming is that when it comes to transforming the mind, uh, being transformed by the renewing of our minds, the most influential, the most powerful aspect of uh, renewing your mind is renewing it on the word of God. All of the ways of worship that God has given us and they all revolve around the word, read the word, study the word, pray the word, sing the word, memorize the word. Okay, that is the most powerful aspect of renewing your mind. But one of the points that I also want to show is that's not all that it means to renew your mind. Don't just think Bible study is the only way to renew your mind. If tomorrow morning you wake up and you worship for 30 minutes, there's another 23 and a half hours in the day uh, or however long you're awake that could be being renewed. Let's let's go back to the man from earlier who uh, snipped at his wife. Let's say that when he did that, he recognized that it was sin. He said, this isn't how Jesus treats his, his, his church. So internally, he acknowledged his sin. He confessed it to God. He apologizes to his wife and he resolves to repent. What, what has just happened there is that he has not done a Bible study, but he has renewed his mind The word of God has led him to those conclusions. And in that moment, he has done some, he has acted in obedience internally. He has renewed his mind. Okay. Um, So, so the, the most significant important factor is the effect of the word of God on us. But don't think that it's just Bible study. By the way, that leads us then to a fourth category. Another important one, what you think, what you think is forming you. You are thinking, and this would include your attitude. This would include your motives. You have a whole life of the inner man that is always taking place. And at every single moment, there is a way to be glorifying God with the thoughts Whether you are at work, whether you are eating, whether you're at home with family, whether you are resting, there is a way to be glorifying God with our thoughts in that, in that moment. Make your mind to dwell on things above. Make your mind to declare truthful statements, godly things, and your mind will be transformed. When you are around that person that you have a hard time loving, And there's the temptation to give into some resentment or whatever in the flesh. Instead of indulging the flesh, if we will make ourselves say some things internally while we're standing there with that person, this person's made in the image of God. They need Jesus. 
Lord, I'm having trouble loving this person right now. Help me to do this. Right then in that moment, you're renewing your mind. It's not Bible study, but you're renewing your mind. Your thoughts are forming you. But likewise, to indulge uh, resentful thoughts, to indulge, indulge thoughts of sexual lust, whatever we indulge, it is growing stronger and it is forming us. Okay. Renew your mind with a person you have trouble loving. Do it 100 days in a row and watch what happens. God will change the way that we have affection for this person. And then a fifth category of influence, what we take in voluntarily. What we take in voluntarily, this, this would, uh, I think a biblical way of saying it would be what we receive. This would include the company we keep, the books we read, the TV movie we watch, the music, all of it. But let, let me say something regarding entertainment. One of the most common thoughts regarding entertainment is just to say, you know, well, the Bible never says that watching movies is evil. Okay, and that's true. Um, and, and, and by the way, if you're getting nervous, no, my, my big point here is not going to be throw away your TVs. Okay, I'm going to try to give some cautions here, but that's not where I'm going in this. But do see that approaching aspects of life from that perspective is an errant perspective of just it's not forbidden kind of thing. Because first, on another day, I would talk longer about what I'll say now in just five or six sentences, okay? First, there is the, the, the reality of just the sheer amount of time in our culture that gets spent on things like TV watching and movies and tablets and all this kind of stuff, okay? Listen, God commands us to work six days and rest one. What that means is that there is some proportion to the amount of rest, recreation, entertainment, hobbies that ought to be kept in check. Entertainment is not evil, but it fits in a box of time that a lot of times we let it get way bigger than what it is supposed to be. One of the biggest ways that we in our culture regularly get entertainment wrong is just the amount of time that is spent on it. Listen, Christian, you were made to grow, to learn, to read to flourish, to play music, to write poetry, to take walks in the woods, to spend hours in conversations, okay? You, you were made, even in rest and recreation time, we we're made to do things that actually build the soul. We weren't made to sit in front of a box like a slug and have our mental capacity vampired out of our eyes into our phones, okay? We were made to flourish and, and the stupid TV Okay, robs a lot of what could be done. Always remember that what you do crowds out what you could have done. Let me say that again. Whatever we do crowds out what we could have done. There, there are uh, great works uh, of Christian literature through history that if you spent 20 hours in that book, it would, it would turn you into a sage. It would build your soul. It would form you. This is what God wants for you. We could waste that and spend it on 20 hours watching TV. Okay, so that's... One caution, it's indirectly related to Romans 12, but let me come a little bit more closer to what Romans 12 is addressing. Here's the next part to consider. Let me kind of talk about it in regard to children's TV. For parents with, with children, be cautious because it, it's oftentimes a, a thought that, you know, my kids watching G-rated movies and Disney shows. I can just turn that on for four hours a night and it keeps them quiet, put a tablet in front of their face and it's all fine. But here's the question I want to ask you about what they're watching. These G-rated movies, these Disney shows, 
Who's producing it? Who's producing the material? What does the New Testament, who does the New Testament say is influencing the thinking of the world? Okay, it is the demonic spirits. And Satan has become skilled in the long trap. Satan has become proficient in knowing where he wants to bring culture and being willing to take decades to slowly adjust one decade at a time the thinking until they come to a particular thing. Okay, you, you do realize that where we are today with TV started off with Leave It to Beaver and Father Knows Best. Okay? And the current embracing of the LGBTQ lifestyle and agenda has come about by culture first being conditioned to think with messages like, accept everyone no matter what. Everybody should just be nice and no one should ever say a thing that makes someone feel bad. A message of individualism, a message of you can be whatever you want to be and others that we could list off. And here's what I'm saying. Every one of those messages is in the G-rated movies and the Disney shows that children are watching. It is being primed for something. There is an agenda that is involved in this. And I want to ask you the question, okay? When it comes to TVs, movie, all this kind of stuff, um, our ch church kids are being pulled away from the gospel at terrifying rates, okay? So we're constantly warning about this. But I want to ask you, are church kids being pulled away from the gospel because of R-rated profanity in movies? Maybe some. Are church kids being pulled away because of um, gun violence in some action films? Maybe, okay? But are church kids being pulled away because the world is seducing them with their worldview? Yes. That's the danger that I'm warning you of. So my primary uh, call here, nor do I have the authority uh, to issue some kind of legalistic statement like throw away your TV. That's not my intention, okay? Although take a step back for a second and just say, why would that idea be so crazy, okay? It's been around for, it's an invention that's been around for 20 minutes in this entertainment. Why would that be so crazy, okay? But that's not my intention. But my intention is to add watchfulness, alertness, to be careful. I do think that there ought to be times that parents watch shows with kids and talk it through, press pause and say, okay, everything you just heard for the last five minutes is stupid, okay? And here's why. And talk them through the worldview, and you'll actually be helping them think through worldview concepts. That is not what the Bible says. Being famous is not the whole purpose of life. Let's talk about this, okay? Work through these things with them, but be on guard, because I want you to see this. A child who watches two hours of TV a night, which would be on the light end of the statistics, by the way, a child who watches two hours of TV a night, that is 700 hours a year, do that for a decade, it is 7,000 hours of TV. Do you know what you call 7,000 hours of TV? Catechism. It's catechism. Whatever we take in, voluntarily, it is catechizing us. It is teaching us how to think. It is forming the thoughts. It is forming the mind. Whatever news you watch, it is forming and shaping how you think. We have all seen this. What you take in is pressing you into some mold. Christian, be careful. Be alert. Be watchful. 
Let me end with just two last very quick words of application. And then this will hold us over until we come back. First, if this is true, then see the dire need for us to stop giving into the quote, small sins. It is a thing that Christians can be generally heading a direction, but then say, but my small little things that I keep around, they're fine. They're not a big deal. We're all going to have something. Don't let even one die to all of them. Make war against every single one, even if it looks cute and cuddly to you because they will grow larger. And then number two, see that every moment matters. Redeem the time. Make the time count. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We'll come back next week and we'll talk more about sanctification by the renewing of our minds. Let's close in prayer for now. Our Father in heaven, we ask, O oh Lord, as, as we have talked about hard things, matters of our own sin, Lord, there's conviction. I, I ask, O oh God, that you will you will work in such a way that we make resolves to take actions before the devil's birds come along and pluck the seed off the top of the soil. Lord, I pray that we will heed and obey. Show each one of us, oh God, areas of our life that we, we need to be uh, sanctified. We need to die to sin. Show us, oh God, uh, be very specific with us, we pray. Help us as we end here and we spend time in fellowship. Bless us as we dismiss. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. You're dismissed. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.